Hi everyone, my name is Ishan and this is the Build Your Talent Stack podcast. I started my career feeling like I needed to fit in and now I shape my own career opportunities. And together with the guests I feature on this podcast, we share how we challenge the status quo in how we learn, connect with an aligned tribe who gets us and shape our own jobs. And in many cases, these are jobs that didn't exist before. Get ready to be inspired to explore creative ways to learn, future-proof your talent stack and forge your own path in the future of work in a way that brings out your personality and your zone of genius. Hi everyone, it's Ishan here. When it comes to workshops and team strategy days, I'm absolutely the type of person that is much more comfortable participating rather than being in front of the room, let alone facilitating. But when I realized that the type of career that I wanted needed facilitation as a skill set in order to make an impact, I knew I had to do something about it. And the very first thing I added to my learning playlist was a podcast called First Time Facilitator by Leanne Hughes. I scrolled through the backlog of episodes to pick and choose the ones that would suit an absolute beginner like myself and slowly branched out to tailor the learning to the kind of workshop that I was going to facilitate. It started with the First Time Facilitator podcast And then I realized I wanted to be able to ask questions from people who had more experience than I had. So the next thing I joined was a Facebook group called The Flip Chart, which is also run by Leanne. I did some research in this Facebook group to find out what other questions have been asked before. And as I gained more confidence and get out of my own way with feeling like an imposter in this group. I even started posting questions and I was absolutely amazed by how supportive the community was in helping me brainstorm ideas for the right activities to achieve the workshop outcomes. Since adding Leanne's podcast and Facebook group to my learning playlist, I've since run two workshops and run multiple Zoom sessions with 100 people. Now, although I know facilitation is the newest kid on the block in my talent stack, I know that thanks to Leanne and the community of facilitators that she has brought together around the world, they have my back in helping me learn and improve on the fly. And I literally learned it all on my phone. So who is Leanne Hughes? Leanne is an international corporate trainer, facilitator, speaker and coach who loves creating unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. She combines her experience in marketing with her education in human resources and psychology to help leaders create engaging everyday experiences that are so contagious they scale across teams, functions and regions. Leanne has facilitated leadership, onboarding and team development workshops across Australia, Canada, Hong Kong, Indonesia, India, Mongolia, and Singapore, and believes in a strengths-centered approach to learning and development. 
She has over 13 years of experience across a range of industries, including mining, government and tourism sectors. She's the host of the First Time Facilitator podcast and was a finalist in the 2018 Australian Learning Impact Awards for Learning Professional of the Year. In today's episode, Leanne shares how you can also add facilitation to your talent stack and her journey in branching out in shaping a portfolio career as a facilitator. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Leanne. Thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. I am so excited to have you here. Um, can you give us a quick intro about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. So I work as a corporate trainer and facilitator now, but I retired, I like saying retired from corporate life last year where I was working in a global talent management and development role and uh, sort of a background. I studied human resources and marketing at university and just doing a lot of marketing for a while. And then I ended up moving over to Western Australia. An opportunity came up internally to go back into training and development. And I've been there ever since. And I actually really find a lot of similarities between marketing and what I do now in the uh, like leadership facilitation world as well. And I started a podcast and yes, it's a, it's a job that can take you around the world, which is what it has done in the last year. <laughs> As you were talking there, my daughter's just entered my wardrobe with all these balloons. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Oh, dear. Well, I'm just going to carry on. So how did you get into facilitation? Was it yeah. something that you intentionally moved into or did it find um, you? It's a good question about intentionality. And I think it's very easy to connect the dots when you go backwards. It's what Steve Jobs says. It's easy to reconnect, but I have always been interested in things like team development. I played netball at a pretty high level when I was younger. And we used to do things like go on weekend retreats and do high ropes courses and learn about leadership. And I love that. And I think later on, the reason I kept playing netball wasn't because I loved the sport, it was more because I loved being in high performing teams and seeing how those dynamics worked. Um, and so, like I said, I was sort of in marketing, but then I would attend, I, I still loved personal development. Like I, I read uh, Seven Habits when I was about 14. I just loved Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins. And I was attending a lot of these marketing and business seminars and they were talking about these concepts. And I, it got to a point where I thought, hmm, would get external facilitators in for work. And I thought I could do this. Like I'm not learning anything new. I was seeing what they were doing and I thought surely there's an opportunity here. And because I worked in remote Australia, we would often have to fly in remote facilitators. And it became a point where we just couldn't to support one of our clients, which was the local Shire. And they wanted a workshop on presentation skills. And I turned to my friend, Bonnie, she was extremely accomplished HR practitioner. I said, Bonnie, surely we can do this. And so together we developed a program. We delivered it in a couple of weeks. We were so scared. We were so scared. We were constantly on Google researching activities and ideas. After the workshop, we had to have a wine just to wind down and talk about <laughs> it. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? That was like we got really great feedback as well. And I just loved it. And I thought, yeah, I, I would love to continue doing this. So that's how it all started, just being a participant in a room, enjoying workshops. I love attending them and thought maybe I could do one, uh, one day. 
When you say remote Australia, whereabouts were you at the time? I was living in Broome in Western Australia. So that's oh, about two yes. and a half thousand kilometres north of I've Perth. I've been to Broome, yeah. Have you? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it was one of those things where um, the opportunity came up to go and I said, why not? Um, and it just amazed me how, you know, just within a few metres you were from beach to the red earth, and <laughs> the I red know. desert. And I was, yeah. I've never seen... Um, anything quite so red <laughs> like in I real know, life like in photos you think it's yeah. you know photoshopped but no it really is as red <laughs> as so it looks it is, it is. You, don't, you don't need filters and the, you the don't need filters that clear and yeah. blue and yeah but I actually just on that note I would totally a lot of people have asked about career development I would put in a vote and no one tells you this I would put in a vote to work in a remote place like that because I when I first moved there I was working for the state government in a marketing role you're totally under-resourced. Now, that could, you could look at that as being a bad thing, but it was a really great thing for me because I learned marketing. I learned how to write all the, the public. Uh, so I was a public relations person. I was an events person. I was a Facebook ads person. You get the opportunity to actually build your, your talent stack very quickly. Yeah. Well, speaking of talent stacks, um, why do you think we should be encouraging more people to have facilitation as a skill set in their talent stack? Well, I think that a lot of people already have it. I think if you're talking to three or more people at once, I so think of all your meetings, your daily huddles, you need to influence someone, you need to find out questions. You're possibly already de developing your facilitation skills. So facilitation, the Latin phrase is to make easy, to make simple. So what right, facilitators right. do, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think the word facilitation, it can be, there's a few different definitions. A lot of people would put like corporate trainers underneath the banner of facilitation, which is what I do on my show. But facilitation is really about driving outcomes influencing, getting the best um, collective intelligence from a room, designing a process so that at the beginning you, you might have a problem and at the end you've discovered a process and used a, a method to figure it out. So if you look at it in terms of that definition, you'd see that a lot of people are already facilitating in the roles that they're doing. They just don't realise that they're doing it. And as a result, they may not realise that there are some really great processes and tools and strategies to make what they do easier. So you brought up a really good point um, because I must, um, at the time of this recording, um, this is my uh, third week of um, being uh, working from home since the lockdown. And um, I have to admit that I went into survival mode thinking that um, I had to, well, I made some assumptions around whether I could effectively um, do the things that I once was able to do. And it's not that I was running workshops per se, but if you if going by the definition of um, facilitation to make things easy, I had mm -hmm. to rethink how I do that um, when all of us are remote. Um, how do you have the equivalent of a sounding board and a corridor chat <laughs> um, to shape ideas? And that's how I shape ideas and add to that. Um, juggling homeschooling a child on my own because my husband still has to go to work. Um, I sometimes go, hang on a second, what am I, what am I doing again? Um, and when you frame it as you know about making things easy, um, I now find myself in a situation where I now have to uh, organize an event um, 
Uh, it's almost like a virtual team check-in of a hundred people. Um, suddenly it's like, okay, and when I have something to focus on, the curiosity comes back, then the interactions that follow, it, it makes sense about what, what the next step is. Um, and even though I have, to, I love sound, um, getting people for sounding board ideas, I almost feel like people are also overwhelmed by their own issues, that they're almost like, you, you've got it, like, you know what you're doing, you, the way that you do it makes it easy for everybody else. So just trust your gut. And I'm like, I'm sitting in a, my yeah. home office <laughs> going, trust my gut, <laughs> me in my room. Um, so thank you for that reminder um, that I think we're it's actually really already doing it. But Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, I certainly have been in this thrust into this environment and I didn't choose to do facilitation because I wanted to be a virtual facilitator. Like I like facilitation because I love being around people in a room. I love the energy and it's difficult to get that same sort of response, immediate feedback, you know, through virtual. And so even I've had to tell myself that it's like, okay, because I'm the second I think about moving something virtually, I kind of groan. I'm like, oh, this is going to be hard. But I think that's a really powerful question is how can I make this easier? How can I make this more fun? How can I make it simple? And it really comes back to purpose. Like what is the point of the meeting? And yeah. a lot of people have asked me, oh, I've got this two-day program. Does it need to be the same online? And moving stuff online isn't about just physically moving the materials to a virtual setting. Yeah, you right. rethink, rethink the purpose. And like, do you need half of that stuff? Like, is it relevant? Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of resources, um, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is the notion of a learning playlist. Um, for those who are listening and aspiring to become better facilitators, what do you recommend that they add to their learning playlist? First of all, I love that phrase, learning playlist. Like it's so much cooler than resources. So, so yeah. I might actually steal that one, Nishan. It feels my like workshop. it's less stressful. Because I think so. Yeah. Someone once said to me, like, you're relentless. And I'm going, I didn't actually say I finished reading it. I'm just saying it's on the playlist. It's on the playlist. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what I like about that whole analogy as well is I've got, I've got playlists as well. And you have different playlists for different moods. And there's yes. you know, some songs that you play on repeat because they that's just right, you energy. That's right. You and get it back. Like I, I, sometimes you'll, you'll want a moodier song. Anyway, so my playlist, well, and I, this is, I don't want to give myself, this is, it is a plug, but I, honestly, the reason I started my podcast was because I was facilitating over in Canada for my um, old corporate job, only female in a room, male supervisors, 30 of them. First time I delivered this leadership program, I was extremely jet lagged. I think I had two hours sleep before I ran. It was a three day workshop. So two hours sleep before day one. And I had a participant in the room that in the afternoon, just refused to do an activity. And oh. it really threw me. Yes. Yeah, so that was the, that was the moment when I thought, oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, how would I prevent this ever happening? So I flew back to Australia and I rang up all my fellow facilitators and asked like, what would you do in this situation? And that's when my podcast idea, first time facilitator was born. Cause I thought in these phone conversations, I'm learning so much so yes. surely I can just hit record and share that. So that's why I'm putting in a bit of a plug for my podcast because absolutely, <laughs> it's, it's my number it's one podcast. For, for yeah, it's just built for that purpose. is It's built for people that even don't define themselves as facilitators, but want to know what it's about, what kind of skills are involved, activities, that kind of thing. But I think the coolest part of 
the, the podcast is the spin-off Facebook group. We've got a group called The yes. Flip Chart. We've got 700 facilitators around the world and people on there just sharing their activities. And honestly, I will go there. I will go into the search bar. I had to do a, a workshop on negotiation a couple of weeks ago to a group of graduates. I, it's not my strong skill. Like I'm not a negotiation expert. I had a search. There were some great videos listed in there mm. that I brought into my training that worked. And facilitators only recommend stuff that works. You don't see anything there that just, yeah, just fails. I was looking at the hashtag online icebreakers or virtual icebreakers because <laughs> I <laughs> needed to. Yeah, have you got have you got some? Because I've um I've got a I'm compiling a Google sheet actually of those. So uh, are you compiling? Well, I I got as far as conference call bingo, but it wasn't quite the sentiment I was looking for because mm -hmm. I think under the circumstances we need to acknowledge how people are feeling. Um, and, and so I was looking for something else other than, um, conference call bingo. Cause I think under normal yeah. circumstances, when it's a zoom webinar, okay, fine. We can all have a bit of a, a laugh about that, but I feel like I, I needed something about just to let people, um, have a laugh about how they're feeling and not feel, um, so I'm trying to find a humorous way of almost yeah, like a non-threatening question. Yeah, that's right. There's one um, Oscar Tremboli recommended. So we were on a call the other day. He was, we were talking about Zoom breakout rooms. Um, he asked me a few questions at the end. So he doesn't ask, how are you? He asks, are you getting, are you getting sleep? Are you getting exercise? Yes, but I like his yeah. third question, which was, um, what's a song that would describe how you're feeling right now? Yeah. I thought, oh, that's good. Yeah. A, a <laughs> song that describes how you're feeling. It's kind of like your COVID playlist. But <laughs> um, I thought... That's a non-threatening way of asking someone rather because we used to in uh, my old job, we do check-ins and go, you know, from a one to 10, where are you? But I think at the moment, even that's a bit too much. Yeah. So I think with a group of a hundred, I might um, curate like, I don't know, for, for, for a music question, like four different songs and you just pick one song yeah. that kind of sums that's up awesome. how you yeah. are. Um, but yeah, so your, your flip chart group is definitely an awesome group. You've done such a good job to, um, bring people together. Uh, and I think it's a role model for a lot of groups out there. So well done. Oh, thank you. And I think it's just very lucky, um, because it's, it's facilitators. So they just want to yes. contribute the tracks, yeah. that type of person. So yeah, I, I won't take all the credit. It's, <laughs> it's really great. Yeah. Um, now myth busting. So what are some of the myths that you'd like to bust on what it takes to be an effective facilitator? Okay. Like probably the major myth is everyone thinks that you need to be the expert. And this is a myth that I held very closely to me for five years. I thought I had to be the expert. So yes. if I was running presentation skills training, I need to know all the stats on it. I needed to know how to do everything really. Like I studied it to just endlessly. Yep. What I've realized though, after some time is that the beauty of facilitation and working with adults is adults come in with all their experiences and all of their ideas and no one comes in as a blank slate. So your job as a facilitator is to use really effective questions to balance out getting the information and then sculpting it in a way to drive the outcome forward. So it's about managing energy more than managing the information. Mm, okay. Yep. Yeah. You still need to, if you're running corporate training, absolutely. You still need to have some subject matter knowledge, 
and know how to manage things when you do get questions that you can't answer, but it's okay to not know the answer to everything. Um, and that's the thing. Cause I grew up, went to school, I went to university. So my facilitator role models were all experts mm, mm. assumption. And so I think a lot of people don't even step up into facilitation roles because of imposter syndrome, because I think they need to know all, but I tell you what, I've certainly been to workshops where I've had someone that's had that mindset and you switch off because they don't listen to what's going on in the room. So it's a fine balance between knowing your stuff, but it's like the 80, 20 rule, 80% is probably good enough. Yeah. And then really spend your time and energy mapping out how you're going to get people involved. And yeah. managing energy on an online meeting. <laughs> That's been the biggest struggle. I don't know if you saw my LinkedIn post yesterday, but I've created the hashtag like Zoom Teague because it's exhausting. So I would say fewer, like lessen the time, have breaks in like if you've got like a one or one hour workshop, even in half an hour, half an hour in, just get people to stand up, go grab a coffee or a water. Um, get the interaction happening as well. There's using Zoom, there's, tool, there's tools like polling, the chat box, breakout rooms, the whiteboard. You can even use external technology like Mentimeter. Um, change, even contrast what visuals you show. So if you've got slides on, turn the, turn the slides off and just have you as full video. So one, one of my major workshop design philosophies is contrast. And that is even more important online. So contrast the activities contrast how much you're talking versus asking mm, questions yeah. contrast video versus slides contrast the slide design mm. fantastic no i really like that um food for thought as i prepare for my 100 people <laughs> check-in oh and it's, it's a bit different to a webinar because we do want interaction because we all work together so unlike um an informational webinar um this one's more of a an actual Q&A with 100 people and the uh, as at time of recording the chat feature has been disabled because of the security flaw so um, I th I'm thinking that um, I'm hoping that people will work out between themselves who's going to unmute themselves because um, I think it's just too many people to manage with the hands up button right like yeah that's yeah. that's quite significant um, could you do some I would do some work beforehand like prior even I would, um, in a situation like that, I would probably even cherry pick the first two or three presenters, people that are good communicators, just so, because the, the last thing you want is throwing out a question and for 30 seconds there's silence. So you want to plant someone. Just yeah. or, or maybe if I get them <laughs> offline and we go in with the uh, with those three pre-selected so that way people um uh, can recognize their question through that uh, summarized question yeah. and they can see the authenticity in the answer that might inspire them to ask something else. So Absolutely. I think, um, thank you for that tip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you want to plant some moles. <laughs> You've yeah. got to be much more. We definitely online. have the questions uh, unofficially, um, but I don't know whether they feel comfortable asking all of a sudden. So we're aware what some of the questions are, um, but yeah, we might want to let them, know that we've already yeah thought about it and kick off with those top three ones already uh, answered so um so facilitation as a 
portfolio career. Now, a few people I know have shared with me that they are thinking about making the shift from being in-house facilitator uh, or being a facilitator as an add-on to their role to aspiring to go out on their own one day to become a proficient professional facilitator. What advice can you give to someone who's thinking about going down this path and how to build a client base, especially because Mm. quite often um, when you're so used to a corporate setting, the assumption is that, okay, how do I build a network of corporate clients? But um, what's been your journey like? Yeah, well, and I can only really speak from my experience. So I've been about a year out from corporate and I gave myself a bit of a, a pivot runway to launch in. So I kind of knew between six and 12 months prior to leaving my old company that I'd be doing this. So a couple of things, I worked on my brand. So I started a podcast and what that podcast did was put me in touch with other facilitators. And I'd ask some very similar questions that you're asking me. So how did you build your business? Um, And what it really comes down to is facilitation is very much a reputation driven business, very much word of mouth. It's all built on trust. When I worked, worked internally in learning and development, Um, I would pick a facilitator that I knew could deliver every time that I could trust that would show up on time that wouldn't, you know, call in sick that day that had the engagement level and the energy. So it's probably the best marketing that you can do once you get a gig is just over deliver. So be very simple to work with, be responsive, tailor everything over deliver. And you'll find that they'll call you out for other, other teams, other departments, the word will spread that way. That's when you've got a gig, but how do you get the gig? I found a lot of my work, I was very lucky to work for a global company and we also had sister companies and a parent company. And I didn't know this at the time, but I mean, every day at work, I put in 110%, put Mm. in my best foot forward in meetings. So I had a positive, really strong internal brand with those other stakeholders. So when I left corporate, um, it was funny because I had an Excel spreadsheet of like, oh yeah, here are the clients I'll work with. And the clients I ended up working with weren't on, weren't, they were just completely different. They wow. were the ones that I didn't anticipate. Recent company, it's an oil, an oil company. One of my, the sister HR lead, she ends, she's now the GM of this oil company. And so she reached out to me. There was no outbound sales from my end. It was just, we had, we got along, we respected each other. Um, I was visible on LinkedIn. So Mm. she noticed that, you know, I had this gig and that's how it happened. So relationships um, are probably key. And and it's not about even intentionally building it. It's it's actually being uh, showing up strongly every day and people will notice that. And, And I think that's what branding, personal brand is all about. So, and, and people don't like it when I say that because that's all long game tactics. That's, that's not short-term hacks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, I think the bigger reason might be that it, it, they feel very uncomfortable about um, how they show up um, and how do you balance um, uh, yeah. branding versus being seen as self-promotional. And it's it, there's a different, it's a slight difference because <laughs> there's it's a big difference yeah it's like a that's actually value adding in this content just for spooking you <laughs> yeah spooking yourself i always so. joke about uh the difference between showing up and showing off yes and it's right and i think so the criteria i use and i don't know if i've got it right either is is what i'm posting adding value to someone else 
And you can usually tell that if you just write in your copy, you, if you're using the word you, then it's off, then it's not a self-promotion. It's adding value to someone else. But if it's I or my, or we, that is self-promotional. And it's the hard part is it's super easy to write content about ourselves, but we've just got to put out, switch the focus and go, do you struggle with your problem is, and just pay attention. So what I'm doing during COVID um, is I think I'm making a lot of assumptions about my audience and I want to check in. So I'm doing like a global listening tour. I'm getting listeners to book in 20 minute time slots with me. And I'm just going to listen to what problems they've got or opportunities. So it's keeping an ear to the market, having conversations with your customers, um, knowing that line between showing up and showing off. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to know what people shared with you on the listening tour. Like, did it surprises or things that you all different things? Because yeah. I've the, yeah, so I've kind of um, branded myself as facilitation, but I'm happy to. I do a lot of work with like career pivoting and leadership as well. Yes. So um, I've got the, the tour kicks off next week, but people have booked in and I've said, you know, what are the problems you like to talk about? So some are related to facilitation. Other people are scared of being, they want to pivot, but they're being pivoted because of COVID. So they've got to reinvent their careers. Yes. Yeah. Um, one, one person has to audition for a virtual role that he had it was a face-to-face role. He had it. Now he's going to audition. So he wants to talk through that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I want to get very clear. So the best marketing advice I heard from Pat Flynn, he goes, learn the lyrics of your customer. Um, and this is a good facilitation technique as well. Often we'll, we'll ask people what the problem is and we'll summarize it in our own words, but we've got to use their words. And so yeah. what I'm doing on the listening tour is I'm going to listen into like, what are the words or phrases, the actual sentences they use? and just use it back on them. Can I share an example of when I did this? Yeah. Because I always talk about creating engaging workshops. Like that's the word I, the phrase I use. And I did this poll last year and I get, you know, what's your biggest problem? If we could wave a magic wand and fix something. And this lady wrote, she goes, I would like to know how to create non-boring workshops. So I would say engaging, but she said non-boring. So now I'm using non-boring and people are so much more attracted to it. (laughs) This is what they're really thinking. Yeah. So just learn the lyrics. Yeah. I'm also curious to know with the approach that you took with the listening tour, are you offering those sessions as a mini consultation as well? Like, is that also a taste of, give people a taste of what it's like to work with you one-on-one? I don't know yet, but what's interesting is that when I see these problems come up in the diary, it's like I already go into problem solving mode yeah. and that's something, I don't know, I interviewed Michael Bungay-Stania on my podcast. He wrote a book called The Advice Trap, which I've recently read. And as humans, we just want to, we just want to solve problems for people. But yeah. what he says in the book is that, I mean, I don't even know these people that are booking in and I'm already <laughs> trying to solve their problem. So I've actually got to stop and ask clever questions so that's what I'm going to take is I'm going to ask questions. And if I feel like I've got something to contribute, a resource, I will share it with them. I want to be helpful. But at the same time, getting them to talk about their problem, a lot of the time they can solve it themselves. They just haven't asked themselves the right questions. Yeah. So that's, that's a facilitator approach. Yeah. And if you find your own solution, you're more tempted to take action on it than if someone just tells you what the solution is something about our, the wiring of our brain. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Leanne, what's the key takeaway that you'd like to leave the audience with today for aspiring facilitator? Oh, so many, so many. Um, if I'd say the key takeaway would be to get time on your feet. What time I mean on your by feet. that is, okay, yeah, yeah. Like you can't learn to ride a bike by reading about it. You've just got to do it. So, get time on your feet. Um, find internal opportunities to facilitate. Now, like Bonnie and I did, we co-facilitated. That was the first step we took. Um, and once you get up there, you realise it's not that scary. So. To be and to, to get to grow, and I think this is re relevant to any skill in terms of your just talent stack in general, is find opportunities within to to grow. Put your hand up to open a meeting to do what you're doing. Um, you know, a hundred people on a, a virtual call that is incredible experience for you. Your confidence will skyrocket. Always evaluate what you're doing well, um, what's not so well, and adjust and just keep building up that time, that time mm. on your feet. Yeah. Time on your feet and also um, applying the learnings and taking feedback as well as to what, because often it's the feedback to go, oh, wow, I never thought about that. Um, yes. And already you're thinking, okay, how am I going to apply that next time? And so um, I, I have to admit having done one, uh, although I, I enjoyed having a breather afterwards, but it got me thinking about, okay, here's how I would do the next one. Um, when the time comes, um, but it's hard to get feedback as well sometimes, isn't it? Because people, you get all sorts, like they come in with all different um, perspectives, they're in different headspace. I find it really funny at the end of some workshops, you, the feedback is about the catering and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> or, or yeah, and particularly as facilitators, uh, my friend, we spoke at the Gallup conference in Omaha last year and the feedback was outstanding, but there was one, we scrolled down the Excel spreadsheet and there was like one, three out of five star. And I looked at that one first. So we're, we're very yeah. much, we have a negative bias as humans. Um, you, a lot of people actually say facilitation, you kind of need a thick skin because as you said, Ishan, we can't control, people come in with all sorts of emotions and they don't just park that at the door. So you could be the, you could please 95% of the room, but you can't please everyone. And your style will be great for some, but not for others. That's okay. Yeah, you know, speaking of style, I found myself um, saying to this other person that, um, you know, if they feel that they want to give other, other people opportunity to be in the limelight, um, but to not avoid it completely by, you know, considering, you know, a, a moderator role or a facilitator role instead of being the main speaker, uh, if it was a conference. Um, and I think, uh, and that got them thinking to, you know, that there's public speaking, then there's moderating and facilitating. Um, there's so many ways to show up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's kind of like um, podcast hosting for, for me. So podcast hosting, I'm interviewing the experts, but all, what that, and so are you. And that puts you on the same pedestal as them. Like I was appearing on a stage with my, at my old company, I was running a live stream. There were 500 people there, but it was being telecast all over the world. It was me on the stage with all the executives. Like, what does that do for your brand and your positioning? Yeah. So it's, it's awesome. And so you, it's just, you gotta be good at guiding and communication, guiding the communication, um, steering things, having the confidence to say, I'll do it. Yeah. But it can be a massive brand builder. 
<laughs> well, so where can people connect with you, Leanne, and um, learn about the work that you do? Cool. Well, I mean, I love LinkedIn. So uh, Leanne Hughes on LinkedIn, add me. Uh, my podcast is at firsttimefacilitator.com and my corporate website is leannehughes.com. And the Facebook group is called? Yeah, it's called The Flip Chart. So love that name. anyone listening, yeah, yeah, anyone listening would love to see you in there. It's just a very inclusive, welcoming, um, innovative group. Yeah. So it, it's called first time facilitate, but really most people in there are at all stages, right? So. Yeah, that's it. Like, and I just start conversations cause I want to hear from the more experienced people. I'm certainly not the expert in that group. No way. Yeah. <laughs> but, very... but you do community management really well. So well done, Leanne. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs> well, it's been awesome chatting with you and I uh, hope you have an awesome day. Thank you. And same to you. It seems like you got it a bit um, tougher at home balancing everything, but you're doing yeah. an excellent job and it's been lovely seeing your smiley face this afternoon. Thank you. See you soon. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would leave a review on iTunes and let me know if this has helped you in any way in shaping your career goals. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can find me at Build Your Talent Stack.